Two weeks ago today, I had one of the craziest days of my life. It was an emotional day of, of highs and lows. It started out here in, in, in the Bird Theater. We celebrated baptisms on that day. We had a baptistry tub up here, and five people that day made a commitment to follow after Christ and be baptized into him. And that's always fun to watch. It's always exciting to see how God is at work in people's lives, to hear their stories, to see what God is doing there, and see people respond to him and give their lives to him. Uh, it was extra fun for me that day, though, two weeks ago, because my youngest son gave his life to Christ and was baptized here on that stage as well, my son Amen. And I was able to be there in the water with him and baptize him as he made his confession of faith of following after Jesus and just standing off the off off the edge of the stage there where my sons and my, my other sons and my wife, and they're all crying, and we're all crying as a family. It's just a, it was an incredible thing, really a, a powerful thing. I love to see God transform lives. And really, the truth is, this is why we started a church in, in the city of Richmond, because we wanted to see uh, the transformation that happens in people's lives and then in the city when people follow after God. And when I see baptisms, I'm like, that's, that's what we're talking about. That's where it's at. That's what's going on. Um, and it, it's, it's so encouraging to me because when Abby and I dreamed about this church that would be here in the city, that's the kind of stuff we were dreaming about. And that was, a, that was a great start to the day, but we had to leave quickly. I left right after second service uh, because I, was, I needed to fly down to Florida, and our flight kept getting delayed, and I was wondering if I was even going to make it in time because I was flying down to Florida that day to attend the funeral of my mentor, Dave Pardue. Dave was the first man who taught me about Jesus when I was 10, 11 years old. He was the preacher of my home church growing up uh, from, from middle school on. He was the preacher there. Uh, Dave was 67 years old, and he passed away on March 14th. And so I, I, we flew down there for the funeral. We flew down to Orlando, but still had to drive almost two hours. We got to the funeral 45 minutes late out of a 90-minute funeral, so we kind of missed half of it. Um, and I was going to speak at it, so I was really trying to get there quickly, you know. And so we got there. I was able to say a few things. And it, it, was, uh, it was an incredible celebration, uh, such an incredible mix of... of um, happy and sad, of, of joy and, and, and of pain, um, to, to celebrate with probably twelve to 1,500 people that were there. Uh, Dave was an incredible man. He was a country boy from North Carolina, a uh, pretty, pretty simple guy, not a polished preacher, but a really good preacher, and just genuine, just kept it real. And there was something about that as me as a middle school kid um, and in high school and the rest of my life. There's something about that that I really latched onto that I appreciated how genuine he was. He did our wedding uh, 20 years ago. My wife and I got married. He, did our, he performed our wedding. So he's responsible for me being married today, not just because he did our wedding, but because he helped shape me into the kind of man that was worth marrying. Um, that, and my wife would tell you that. My wife did not feel comfortable marrying me until she got on the phone with him. And he said, no, no, Chris is a really good guy. You got it. She's like, it's going to be okay. Like his thumbs up mattered because it's just the kind of guy he was. And we celebrated there at, at that funeral, which I said, so such a, a weird day, a bittersweet day, because in the morning, I baptized my son, which is the joy of my life and something I'll carry to my grave is one of the highlights of my life. And then at night, I go back to the place where I was baptized when I was, when I was his age, when I was you know, 11 years old. And uh, it was really a powerful, uh, a powerful uh, odd day. Um, Dave, one of the things that uh, I, I, I 
heard and, and was talked about. He, he, he'd been sick for a while, and, and um, especially in the last couple of months, he was losing a lot of weight, and he just knew that it wasn't looking good. Um, and all of his, the people around him said that Dave was really um, ex- like looking forward to dying. And in fact, you know how he referred to his own death? He called it um, graduation. He said, I'm, I'm looking forward to graduating. And uh, it's really weird because he has seven kids, uh, and 19 grandkids, and so when you see their family photo, it's just a whole mess of people, you know, and, and, um, and, and you think, oh, you know, he's 67, he's got a lot to live for, a lot of people around him, a lot of people that love him, um, why would he want to die, you know, why would you want to walk away from all this, and what did he mean by graduating, uh, what is that all about? Well, I want to spend the rest of the morning kind of explaining that to you, because the reality is we're all going to die, and everybody you know will one day as well, and, and so we're going to face this question a lot of, like, what is this about? And, and as we go towards that day, um, what, what, what does it mean to, to what, what would it even look like to look forward to it, or what would it mean to think of it as a graduation? Um, I want to talk about that because really the story of that is the story of Easter, Dave believed, and I believe, and many of you in this room believe, that 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus Christ was born, and he lived, and he died at about age 33 in, in Israel, in the Roman Empire. And it wasn't just that he born, lived, and died, and he was a great teacher, and all of those things that people say about Jesus. It was that after he died, he came back from the dead and, and resurrected. And, you know, when someone comes back from the dead, you probably should listen to what they have to say. You're like, okay, they're, they're clearly on to something here, you know? Um, and it, it was a, a, really, a really massive thing that happened. And, and I want to point you to an account of that event. There was a guy named Matthew who was a tax collector uh, working for the Roman government, taxing the Jewish people, sort of like an IRS agent of the Roman world. And he met Jesus and, and became one of his closest followers and followed him around for a couple years. And Matthew saw... Jesus' life, he saw his death, and he saw Jesus in the resurrection, saw him come back from the dead, and he wrote about it and recorded it for us, and we have it here, and I want to read it to you from Matthew chapter 28, um, one of the four accounts of the resurrection that are written about in in the scripture, Matthew's account, Matthew 28, we're going to put it up on the screen, and I want you to hear it, because this is really the heart, not only of Easter, but this is the heart, I think, of all of humanity, this story right here, Uh, verse 28, chapter 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath... Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to, the t- to see the tomb. How would you like to be known as the other Mary? I, it just occurred to me this morning, I was reading, I was like, so if we get into heaven, she's going to be like, I'm the other Mary. Like, you know, Mary, are you Mary Magdalene? Nope. I'm the other one. Poor, poor I just feel bad, feel bad for her. All right. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Here's how this goes down. On a Friday in Jerusalem, Jesus Christ is murdered publicly uh, by, the, by the Romans. Now the Jews, the Jewish leadership of, of the synagogue and the temple and all that, they wanted him killed. They delivered him over to the Romans and the Romans carried it out. 
um, at, at the Passover celebration, a big celebration in Jerusalem. And so Jesus is killed. He is whipped by the Roman soldiers on, on what we call Good Friday. He is whipped by Roman soldiers. They, they're professional killers. They know what they're doing. They know how to beat someone to within an inch of their life. And so they whipped him with leather and, and bone and glass and these sort of things like that would rip his skin. Um, they, they would whip him. Uh, and then um, they... Uh, then he was forced to carry a crossbar, a big beam that they would uh, nail, uh, put these nails through his wrists into the beam. And then they would nail that beam up to another beam, like in a cross shape or up onto a tree. And they would nail his feet together this way through the ankles. Uh, and it's incredibly painful. It's an incredibly humiliating way to die, to, to be flogged and then hung publicly uh, like that. Um, and, and when you hang on a cross, as it pulls against your wrists and your, your ankles, you have to pull yourself up in order to breathe. And then you drop back down. It's hard to breathe. And, you have to, and so there's this constant, that movement going on. And, and Jesus, it, this happens to him on a Friday and he dies. And just in case they weren't sure if he was, you know, completely dead, they ran a spear into his side to make sure he was fully dead. They take him off the cross, they wrap him up kind of like a mummy, and they put him in a tomb, and they put a big stone in front of the tomb to, to block it. It's a, a burial chamber where they put him. And he's in the tomb for like a hot minute. He's in there like from Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday morning, what happens is what we just read. Uh, two women come to the tomb, and they find out that he's not there anymore. And they see an angel who says, nope, he's actually come back from the dead, and you're going to see him up in Galilee, up, up north. You will, you will see him there. And it is a powerful uh, thing, this crucifixion and the resurrection that we celebrate this weekend. And I would imagine for a lot of you that the whole thing just sounds unbelievable. You know, if, if, if we're in a, this 21st century American scientific Western rational mindset, and we sort of go, come on, that's not like a thing. Like, be, yay, die, come back from the dead. That didn't really happen. We know better than that. You know, Chris, you're saying Jesus rose from the dead, and I'm sitting here saying, like, we used to use leeches on people when they were sick, man. Like, we know better now about how to help people. We know better. We have science. Like, this is ridiculous, right? And I understand it sounds like that. But I think you actually need to dig into it a little more than that. There were people who were there. Lots of eyewitnesses to, to Jesus' resurrection. The, the, his closest followers, the, the apostles, um, 10 of those guys are going to go out and tell people about the resurrection for the rest of their lives. They're going to travel to India, to Africa, around the Roman Empire. They're going to travel all over the place. And all they're going to tell people is Jesus came back from the dead and we need to follow him. They don't go around saying Jesus spoke the golden rule, do unto others. Like that's not the thing. The, the heart of the thing was this guy died and then I had breakfast with him a couple days later because he was back. Um, and that changed their lives. The complete direction is the complete game changer for them of the way their life was going. Everything changed once they realized that people can actually die and come back from the dead. And not only that, uh, 10 of those guys are going to die for that belief. They're going to be martyred for believing that. Matthew, who wrote that down, uh, gets run through with a sword uh, in Ethiopia, when he criticized the king there years later, he, he gets killed um, in, in, in Ethiopia. Uh, a lot of these guys are going to die uh, and be martyred because they believe. Think about that. Jesus' own brother, James, believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Could you believe that your brother is the Son of God? That'd be pretty hard to believe, right? You'd really have to, like, someone would really have to prove something to you because you'd be like, that's just my brother. That's ridiculous. And James, who was initially a skeptic, comes to believe, no, actually, Jesus was the Son of God. Uh, he was God in the flesh walking around here on earth. And so much so that James gets thrown off the top of a building 
when people are mad at him for his message, and then they beat him, because he's still alive, they beat him to death with clubs. Think about that for a second. It's one thing to, t- to tell a lie. It's one thing to say, Jesus rose from the dead when you know that didn't happen. But it's a whole different thing to tell something and then people are going to kill you for it. Like, wouldn't at that point, if, if you thought, no, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, wouldn't you kind of like recant that idea right there in the moment? Like, if pe- put yourself in that situation. If people are coming at you with clubs or coming at me and I'm like, Jesus rose from the dead and they come to hit me with clubs, I'll be just like, I'm just kidding, y'all. He did not rise from the dead. Put the clubs away. Well, let's not do this, right? Wouldn't you do that? And, and yet they couldn't do that because they couldn't deny what they had seen, that a guy was dead and then he wasn't, that he came back from the dead. And it was a, a powerful thing. And that changed them. And it changed men and women throughout the Roman Empire so much so that it went from a, a, a dozen or a hundred followers of Jesus when he dies to 32 million followers of Jesus within the next 300 years all over the Roman Empire. And their influence, um, that, that band of people and how that grew, it changed architecture, it changed medicine, it changed education in ways that we still feel today. It, it changed the course of history. This, the resurrection of Christ is the central story of humanity that we are celebrating today. So when we, who are followers of Jesus, look at death particularly our own, we go, oh, wait, this isn't going to be the end for me. There's actually, because of what Jesus did, there's actually something beyond this. Because as he rose from the dead, so will I rise from the dead. A guy later that really dialed into this idea in the New Testament that that wrote some letters is a guy named Paul. Paul was a, a later follower of Jesus, and he went around planting churches around the Mediterranean. And he wrote a letter to a city in Turkey. The city was Colossae, and there was a church there. He wrote a letter to the church there. And, it's the, and we, we call it the book of Colossians in the New Testament, but it's a, really a letter that Paul wrote. And we've been studying that book in this church for the last two months, and we're finishing it up, like, right now. Um, but he wrote this letter, and the first two chapters of the letter, uh, he says, um, this is who you are in Christ. This is what Christ has done. This is, he's, he's the guy. Uh, your identity is rooted in him. And then the last two chapters of the letter, he says, this is what you should do. Because you are in Christ, this is how you should live. This is how it looks in marriage. This is how it looks at work. This is how it looks in parenting, that kind of thing. But right here in the middle, in between, in between that, is chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, which we have not read uh, in the last two months, but it's really the hinge of the whole letter, and I want to read it to you now, and I want you to see because he points to the resurrection. Chapter 3, verse 1, we'll put it on the screen. If then, he's talking to Christians, okay, he's talking to followers of Jesus. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Look at what he said. He said, if you have been raised with Christ, if you have been resurrected. He's pointing back to the central story of the resurrection that I just read to you from Matthew 28. And he says, if you have been raised, and he says, past tense, he's saying, hey, here's what's happened. You, you were raised from the dead. He's talking to people that are still alive. That's weird, right? What do you mean we have been raised? What does that mean? When did that happen? Was I there? What, what's going on? Well, here's what's going on. Paul writes, the same guy writes in a different letter to the church at Rome. And he talks about their resurrection, that, that, that there is a time when you die and you come back from the dead. And listen to how he describes it. He says this in Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Here's what Paul is saying. The way that you and I, who aren't walking with Jesus physically on the earth anymore, you know, that was 2,000 years ago, the way that all the rest of us can, can be with Christ is that we're baptized in him. We go underwater and we come back up. And the idea, the imagery of it, and we, we baptized on the stage just a few weeks ago, and maybe you've seen this before, but the idea is that you go into the water and someone baptizes you, you are put down in the water, and it's as if the old you, the person that you were up until that moment, that person dies. That person is gone. You, you die as we put you down in the water. We don't hold you down that long, but we, you, know, you go down underwater. The old you is buried. You're buried with Jesus, the way Jesus went down into the tomb and died. And then, as you come up out of the water, as Jesus got up out of the tomb and was resurrected, you are resurrected. And you are a new person, a new creation in Christ, is what, is what the Scripture says. This is what Christians mean when they say they are born again. You have been born a second time that you were born once from your mother and then you are born again uh, as, a, as a new new person. This is what's going on when, um, when you're baptized. And I think this is really good news um, because it gives you the shot in life at a do-over. Life doesn't give you many do-overs, does it? Like, there's a lot of things that if you blow it, you just blew it, and that's just it. And it, and it just seems like, man, there's no way to like, get after it again. Um, I grew up maybe the first generation to play video games from my childhood. I had the original Atari 2600. Uh, anybody else have the old Atari 2600? I think it was epic. Um, and I would play these video games, and you learn very quickly in video games that if you die, you just get to start again. You just press the reset button, and then you play it again. Like, you know, start over. Let me try it again. You just keep going and keep trying it. Or you would, like, go to the arcade. You can do this at the circuit bar in, our, in, in Scott's edition. Uh, you just put another quarter in. Like, if you die, just put another quarter in. You'll be good, and you get, to, you get a do-over. And unfortunately, most life is just not like that. If you die, you die. If you blow it, you blow it. If you torture relationship, the relationship is torched. You don't often get to do it again and fix the thing, right? And, and the problem is we've all blown it. We've all done stuff we regret. We've done things to other people that we shouldn't have. We've had things done to us that shouldn't have happened. There's pain. There's stuff in our history we wish was not there. We've all done this. We've all blown it. And it's like, how am I going to get a do-over? It's too late for me. I've already messed up. And, and when we give our lives to Christ, when we are baptized, um, it's like the ultimate cleansing. It is the ultimate do-over. Because I think we all have a sense, whether you're a Christian or not, I think all of you, all of us, we have this sense that we've blown it, that there's, there's a brokenness inside of us, that we've messed things up. You see this in film. You see it in literature. I, I was thinking about... Um, Here's one example from film. Uh, have you seen the first Avengers movie, Marvel Avengers? As a nerdy example here that I'll give you. But um, there's a scene in there where the bad guy, Loki, is talking to uh, Scarlett Johansson's character, Black Widow, and they're talking back and forth, and he's pointing out to her things in her past that she's done, and she's uncomfortable with it, or she seems uncomfortable. You find out later that she's kind of playing him, but she seems uncomfortable with it, and he's going after her, and he's saying, you've done these things, and he says, there's so much red on your ledger. Like, how are you going to cover that? Uh, how can you cover over all the bad things that you've done? 
And so there's this idea, even in a popular culture thing like that, there's this idea that we want to get rid of these things that have been done to us and that we know that there's this stuff in our, or things that we have done, we know there's these things in our past. Another example, Shakespeare. Um, anybody have to read Macbeth? Right? Different crowd than the Marvel crowd, so let me just make sure I hit everybody in here. Uh, uh, if you remember Macbeth, there's a, a scene where Lady Macbeth is like sleepwalking and um, she's walking around and she's trying to like wash something off of her hands and she feels like she has blood on her hands and she keeps saying out. Do you remember what she says out? Remember this? She goes out, spot, but she throws another word in there which I probably shouldn't say in church. Um, so she's, she's wringing her hands and trying to cleanse them and the doctor says, there's a doctor there who sees her and he says basically what she needs is the divine, not a physician. She doesn't need me as a doctor. She needs divine intervention here to cleanse her. And she's so badly trying to be clean of something. I mean, you see that in, in there. You see it in um, The Kite Runner. If you've seen the movie The Kite Runner or read the book, uh, the, the, the main character, Amir, uh, doesn't protect his little friend Hassan, and Hassan gets assaulted as a kid. And Amir doesn't stand up for him and doesn't do anything about it, and that haunts Amir throughout his life. And, the, and there's a, a turning point in the whole story where someone, as an adult, tells Amir, there is a way to be good again. There's a way to be good again and sends him back to his hometown to to deal with some things and to get healing there. And what I want to tell you is that there's something broken in us and that there is a way to be good again. There is a way to uh, clean out our, our, our ledger. This is why Easter is so significant because all of us have blood on our hands. And Jesus carries all of those things to the cross. Every ridiculous thing you've done, everything that you regret, everything... Uh, every pain, piece of pain that you've caused others, uh, Jesus pays for all of that stuff and, and provides us hope again and provides us a way to be good again and to be in a right relationship with God and to have our consciences cleansed. So Paul speaks to these Colossians in this letter. He speaks to them about being raised with Christ. And then he challenges them to get their head and their hearts right. Listen to what he says, continuing on in verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your mind on things above. And now at first this struck me as really impractical. Because I thought about people who get like really heavenly minded. Like, okay, it sounds like Paul saying, just think about heaven and you're going to be fine, right? I don't know if that works for you. I don't know that that, always, that doesn't necessarily work for me. And in fact, you've probably heard, maybe you've heard the phrase once uh, that someone is so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good, you know? Like they're so focused on the next life or God and stuff. You're like, yeah, but I've got like real problems here and now on earth. Why don't we talk about those? And you maybe you've heard of that or heard of people who are like that. Uh, and, 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 and those people tend to be a little bit unrelatable. You know, they, they, they get so sort of, God focused or something, they, they, and they start talking weird. They all they ever put online is scripture, and you're like, I, I like scripture too. I just, you know, there's more and and to, to to your life than just like quoting the scripture. And and I think in some cases people quote scripture and then hide behind it so they don't have to address their own hearts. You know, like, hey, what do you really think? What are you really feeling? You know, you talk to some people and they just use really religious language. They're so heavenly minded. They use religious language. They say like, you know, how are you doing? Oh man, I just feel like God's got me in the fiery furnace. What? 
You're in a furnace? Get out of the furnace. This sounds bad. And why did God put you there? I don't understand. It's like, but I get it. Okay, it's a reference to Daniel in the Old Testament. Okay, there's a thing. But let's just like talk normal. Just tell me what's actually going on in your heart. How are you really doing? What's happening in there? And don't hide behind this churchy language thing. And so I think people get that way. That's kind of the negative heavenly minded. That's not what Paul's calling us to. He's saying, look, as Jesus was raised from the dead and then there's a future for him, there's also a future for you and you need to focus on it. This is actually very practical. You need to think about those things even in the midst of all the stuff that you're going through now in paying your rent, in trying to get that job, in dating, in in marriage, in struggles and parenting. Keep the long game in view. Keep the perspective of life is not just about this life, but this is just the warm-up. There's more coming. Keep that perspective in all that you're doing here. Think about that resurrection and why it matters. This is really important because how we frame our thoughts, the way we think, the, the mindset that we take into our situations, that affects your life. It affects how, you, how you're going to live and, and what you do. And Paul says, don't think about just the earth stuff. Think about the long game. Think about where it's all going. Think about what God has done. So when you go on a nature walk, when you see the, the, the ocean, when you see a mountain, when you see a beautiful lake, when you see the trees, when you see the colors uh, in nature, thank God for that. Don't just say, this is nice and isn't science great. Thank God for making that for you. When you hear music that lifts your soul and you're like, oh, I love this. I'm going to put the headphones on. I'm going to like get into this. Thank God that he's created your brain in such a way to respond to that, that, people, that he has created people who can pull that kind of thing together. Nobody invented music except God, so thank God that he did that. Like That's an incredible thing as well. When you have an incredible meal and you're like, oh, this food's so good, don't just thank the chef. Thank the one who created the ingredients to begin with. Thank God and see his handiwork there. When you give birth to a child, don't just say, oh, the miracle of childbirth, this is so cool. Like, yes, it's beautiful and it's an incredible thing and a little terrifying, but it's, it's really like a cool thing. Thank God for that, the bonding that's there, the chemicals in your body and the child's body, the thing that makes you all sort of bond together, the, the, the beauty of the whole thing. Thank God for how he designed you and make connections in all of your life. This is what it means to be heavenly minded, to have a resurrected mind, to be born again in your brain. It means that you're connecting all of that stuff to God, not just religious churchy stuff, to God, right? And so that's what we're called, that's what we're called to do, uh, is to think about that long game. Um, so let's wrap this up. Where does this leave you? If you are not a follower of Jesus, um, maybe you're not a Christian, you wouldn't claim to be one, maybe you are, you might claim to be one, but it's like been, you haven't been involved in a long time, and you don't really know where you and God stand right now, that kind of thing. Maybe you're here by accident, maybe you're here because someone invited you here, maybe you're here because you walked by and you thought a movie was playing, and you're really disappointed right now, that it's, that it's like, what is going on, this is the worst movie ever. Uh, maybe whatever, but, but if, you're, if you would say, yeah, I don't know that I would identify as a Christian right now, um, I want to challenge you with this, and I want you to think about this. Um, how, do you, how do you fix what's broken in you? How, how can these things be fixed? Because you know there's something not right. Like, you, you have a sense of that, like, oh, this has been good, and I've made these mistakes, and how, how is that going to get dealt with? I, I had a soccer injury three months ago. It was a first game of the season. I played indoor soccer. And um, if you've ever played indoor soccer, here's the deal. The goal is small, 
and people are the size, you know, people are. So the goalkeeper can block your shot easier because it's a smaller goal unless you kick it really hard. If you can kick it really hard and fast, you can get it past the goalkeeper. So the temptation when you're playing indoor soccer is to just rip it and just try to really crank that thing. And so I did. I was going down the field uh, with the ball, and I was going to take a shot at goal, and I, and I leaned back, and I swung through that thing. And as I kicked it, and he blocked it, so it wasn't even, that's not even the good end of the story, but as I kicked it, um, I felt a pop right here in my hip, and I was like, oh, oh, hey, and then I'm like, uh, kind of like doing this deal, and I was like, hey, I need someone to come in, so I, I leave the field, and I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to stretch this out, and I'm going to get back in the game. I wasn't getting back in the game. I'm doing every stretch I can think of, and like twisting and all the things. I'm like, I, I did something to my hip here, you know, but you know, I don't want to go to a doctor for this kind of thing. Like, you know, ain't nobody got time for that, right? So I'm like, I'm not going to go to the doctor. It's out here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what the rest of you do. I'm going to WebMD this junk, and I'm going to look it up and figure out. I'll just go home, put some ice on it, and I'm just going to figure out. So I put some ice on it, and I look it up, and I WebMD. And so I discovered by, by looking up my symptoms and stuff that I have a strained hip flexor, or I might have emphysema. Uh, I was sure. Also from WebMD, I went with the hip flexor thing. I thought that seems more likely. But anyway, so uh, I... I I got this strained hip flexor, and I'm like, oh, that's bad. I better, so here's what I'll do. I was like, I'm going to ice it, and um, I'm going to stretch it. So I started doing more yoga. I started, you know, getting these poses. I'm going to really stretch this thing out. And then two weeks later, I went out to play again. It was feeling all right. I'm like, I stretch this out. I re-injure it when I go out and play again. It hurts again. I'm like, well, that didn't work. I was like, you know what? I probably didn't let it sit long enough before I play again. You know, I'm not, I'm not 20. I can't recover in a couple days. I need to, you know, give it a little more time. So I give it four weeks. I wait four weeks, and then I go out and play again. I'm like, I'm feeling pretty good. I've iced it a bit. I've stretched it. I'm feeling limbered up here. I'm going to go play again. I get out there, and I injure it again. And I'm like, this isn't working. And so I decide to talk to a doctor. You know, they have these medical professionals <laughs> who you can go see, and they'll tell you what's wrong. So I, I went to this doctor, and this lady was really good. And she sits down with me, and she pushes my leg in all sorts of directions. And she goes, oh, um, you've torn your iliopsoas, which is the inside of your hip flexor. It goes from your back to, to kind of down through there. You tore it. Um, uh, what have you been doing to take care of it since then? And I said, um, I've been icing it, and I've been trying to stretch it. And she goes, that's the opposite of what you need to do. So here's the deal. All of my instincts about how to fix what is broken in me were wrong. I thought, oh, I just do this thing. I'm going to stretch it. It's going to be good. Nope. She goes, you need to put heat on it, and you need to bring it back together. You do not need to stretch it apart. It's already too stretched apart. That's the problem. And so she got me on a plan. She sent me to a physical therapist. I've been going to physical therapy. I've never been to physical therapy before, and I love it. Those of you who are like PT, OT, all the T's, all of you in this room love what you do because here's the deal. I walk in there, and they go, oh, your hip's broken. We're going to fix it. Do this exercise. Now do this. Now do this. And they put me through a routine, and they say, now work on these exercises at home. And I love, love, love it. And I didn't know why I was going to love it so much. And here's what I realized. I loved it because they say there's a thing broken in you, and if you will just do these things, you'll fix it. And in my line of work, I don't get to do that very often. And, and I sit across from people who have damage and brokenness in their souls, and I don't give them an exercise to go away and do and come back, and then they're just going to be fine. But not even sitting across from other people. In myself, it's never that easy. 
There's brokenness inside of me. And I just go, oh, if I just do a couple exercises, it's going to be fixed and it's going to be fine. And I was like, finally, I can go to someone who's just going to give me an exercise and we'll fix it and it'll work again. This is, this is great. And what I want to tell you is there's something broken in you and there's something broken in me. And all of your instincts about how to fix it are wrong. And maybe you haven't reached that point. Maybe you don't understand that yet, but, but you need to know that. And the reason we celebrate Easter is that Jesus died because of all that broken stuff and he can actually fix it and he came back from the dead to give you a new way to live and a new direction for your life as well. And if you will give your life to him, if you will be baptized into him, he can go to work and fix the things that you can't fix because his instincts are right and he knows what, what, what is actually broken in us and he can do his work. It's not, it, it's not always overnight. Um, it's not always dramatic. It's going to be a, a, a slow, progressive, the rest of your life, but he's going to do work on you. And so if you have not given your life to him and been baptized into him, uh, I would encourage you to do so and, and get on that journey with, with him. If you are a follower of Jesus, and that's a lot of you in this room also, I hope you walk out of here today with more joy. I hope you walk out of here and go, yeah, there is something to this resurrection. I mean, you've heard it before. You've heard of the resurrection. Uh, you've heard that Jesus came back from the dead. And, and sometimes in hearing it so much, it becomes old news to you. And I don't want it to, to, to be that way. I don't want the familiarity of the story um, make it old news. Um, there is something coming. Uh, there is a, there's a graduation coming. You know what senioritis is? It, it, Strangely enough, has nothing to do with senior citizens. It's actually, uh, you know, when you're a senior in high school or college or whatever, it's like, all right, I'm over it. I'm done. I still have to be here, and I don't want to be here anymore. Um, I think there's a senioritis for all of us because you go through life, and at some point, you go, I've seen people die. I've seen too much pain. I've lived through too much pain. I hurt. I've seen others hurt. Um, I've seen the brokenness around me, and at some point you, you go, I'm over it. And what I want to say is if you're a follower of Jesus, there's a graduation coming for you. There, there, there is a chance to, to, to move up and to move on. That's how we need to look at death. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, I'm sad that Dave's gone, but I'm excited for what he's experiencing now, and I'm excited to be reunited with him one day and, and our Heavenly Father um, in heaven. I'm excited for my own graduation. It's not a death wish. It's not a death wish, but it, it is a, um, a, a reality that that graduation is coming for us. Lord Jesus, speak to us and through us this week. Um, let us be dialed into to you, into the resurrection life. Um, God, I thank you that, that you have paved a way for us to be good again and that you have uh, given us hope for now and hope for our graduation one day where we get to be with you. God, thank you for the example of Dave, my mentor, who poured into me and for all the people in this room who pour into so many other people uh, that, that the good work of the kingdom continues on here in Richmond and beyond. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.